Fringe Radio. Your trusted source for the paranormal, conspiracy theory, and true crime. Coming to you live from the Mistopheles Studios in Stark Fringe Radio. I try to Hey everybody, uh, welcome to another edition of Dark Fringe Radio. I am your host, Will Martinez. Um, this week, I'm doing this one solo. Jay is out on vacation this week, so uh, big up to Jay. Hope he's enjoying his vacation. So it's just me you got this week, so that's okay. But we have a really good episode this week. We actually are interviewing uh, ATF, or retired ATF undercover agent, Ignacio Esteban, and his book, ATF Undercover. And uh, we're going to be talking to him about a lot of... Uh, you know, subject matter when it comes to uh, police work, when it comes to uh, taking down organized crime and, you know, really dealing with uh, some of the really bad characters that are out there in our society. So, but uh wanted to remind everybody how you can listen to the podcast. You can go to our website, darkfringeradio.com. Make sure you go there directly. And also our merch store is actually open there now. So you just go to the link on top. It'll take you right to our merch store and uh, merch store, excuse me. And uh, you can go ahead and uh, look at the 10 different designs that we have out there for you available right now at darkfringeradio.com. And of course, if you can go to our uh, YouTube page at darkfringeradio. Uh, please like and subscribe to that as well. Really helps us out, and uh, we really appreciate it. So uh, that's enough about um, me and uh, the website and the podcast. We're going to get into our interview with Ignacio Esteban here in a second. So I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, everybody. Uh, today, our guest is a recent, re- uh, recently retired special agent with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosions with the United States Department of Justice. Uh as a special agent in the Miami-Tampa Field Division, he worked undercover investigating violent street gangs, international firearms traffickers, violent repeat offenders, and other types of federal investigations. Uh, prior to joining the ATF in 2000, he was employed by the United States Customs Service at the Miami International Airport, member of the elite contraband enforcement team set. Uh, seizing large amounts of cocaine and heroin entering the United States from Latin America. He's an author of over 70 books published on Amazon, including his autobiography, ATF Undercover. Please welcome to Dark Fringe Radio, our guest, Mr. Ignacio Esteban. Ignacio. Hey, well, I appreciate it, man. It's nice to see you on your show. I know we did yes. the other one, What the Frick? So it's, it's yep. nice to see you here and, and do this one, too. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And um, I found you as a, a very compelling guest uh, having you on with What the Frick Live. You have a very interesting story, um, Ignacio. You really uh, got yourself through the rigor of, you know, early in your career in Miami and in Miami International Airport. Let's talk about that first and, and let's talk about the genesis of your career. Uh, tell us about that and how that started. Yeah, how I started in, in law enforcement, it's easy. Like I said, at 26 years, retired, been a year mm-hmm. and a half. But I almost named the book. I know you can see it, the poster behind me. That's the cover of my book there, ATF Undercover, The Accidental Agent. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, I, you know, of course, you know, you grew up in uh, Miami. It's the 80s. You have Miami Vice, right? And, and <laughs> you look at Don Johnson, right? And you oh, look yeah. at the Ferraris. And you say, man, that, that is pretty cool. And you're also a South Florida guy. So yeah, that's you right. know what I'm talking about. I think we're about the same mm-hmm. age. And, and yep. that was a big thing there. I said, man, I'd say, put it in the back of your mind. That would be pretty cool. Something interesting there, you know, mm-hmm. buying a lot of dope and guns and and all mm-hmm. that flash that goes with it. I never <laughs> thought I would be actually living that kind of life, but that's what ends, ends up happening some ways. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, and it's not it's always as glamorous. You know, you always get to ride the Ferraris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't get to Sometimes do that all the time. You're in a pickup truck, you're in a truck, <laughs> and you're doing whatever you can because you got to fit in because you're not riding the nicest areas. Sometimes you're not so nice areas. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you got to yeah. be able to blend in and get to them because if you stand out like that, it's going to be bad news for you. You're going to get carjacked and get ripped because these are dangerous people get involved. So now mm-hmm. I, I was studying up in Tampa at St. Louis university. Mm-hmm. I have a bachelor's in political science and history. Then I went to FIU, Florida national university, to my master's mm-hmm. and I accepted to go to law school up in Thomas Cooley, up in Lansing, Michigan, you know, mm-hmm. very cold, very different from Florida guy, <laughs> South Florida. That yeah. would have been an extreme exchange. This is back in the mid nineties. Okay. So what, what I do decide is I see then the internet starts coming about 
right? And I get Windows 95 and I start going online because a lot of jobs start being announced. They're going to the paper. You know how we have to go through the, the one ads and all that? Oh, yeah. This the old school types. Fed, yeah. Fed world and all this were online. And people, you know, it was funny. I'll tell you the side story here. We'll make funny. Say, what's this internet thing? Why are you wasting your time with this? What's this dial up? Remember, we had to do dial up and everything else. Oh, people yeah. don't know. It was very right. different when mm -hmm. people started. And Windows made it easier. Bill Gates and all that changed a lot of things. So mm -hmm. I did it. I put in for the job. They're looking for Spanish speakers with customs. Uh, those who understood Latin America culture. And obviously, I grew up in South Florida. I had a master's, worked on my master's, had a bachelor's degree, and I spoke Spanish because my parents are grandparents Spanish, uh, came to Cuba. And then from Cuba, the Castro Revolution and the Communist Revolution came to the United States. And very fortunate, I was raised, I was raised in, uh, born in LA, Los Angeles, but raised in South Florida and Miami. Gotcha. So that's very part of my, my, my background, my story, who I am. Uh, because, you know, my family suffer a lot because of the communists and everything else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I put in for the job and I'm hired. Mm. And I, I go from working on that to being in the front line right there in the mid 90s in the war on drugs. And I'm hired at Miami International Airport. Uh, I do a, a, about six months, seven months in passenger processing, right, as an inspector. We have arrest mm -hmm. authority, we carry a firearm and everything. And then I joined the uh, contraband enforcement team, the set team. And, mm -hmm. and they are making, at the time, some of the biggest seizures in the country at the airports because, unfortunately, the corruption is so immense at the airport between the ramp workers, between the longshoremen and the seaport, uh, mm -hmm. within customs ranks. Um, and I, I don't know if I told you this story in some other place. Um, soon after, I said about maybe about a year in the job, mm -hmm. the chief, one of our supervisors, he gets caught in an elaborate sting where he himself was uh, with Honolulu Beach Police Department, Honolulu Police Department, escorting loads from Tamiami Airport, which is a smaller airport where they have flights coming in that's in Kendall, that they were clear themselves. They had like two or 300 pounds of cocaine coming in from Columbia that they were clear and then take to a different warehouse. He would be taken uh -huh. down. And, and that's one of my supervisors. So I'm thinking, man, and then and other guys would be arrested also for doing things similar. And that's among people who are in management. You're thinking, wow. You know, that really opened my eyes pretty big, but it, it wasn't uncommon to see. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's amazing the reach these people have to be able to infiltrate and, you know, turn somebody over, you know, just for money. It really is amazing. For a chief. I mean, I, and a lot of people I noticed that, that end up giving in and it's is those who have financial issues. Mm -hmm. They have debts, bad divorces. They get themselves mm -hmm. in a hole. Right. And they're vulnerable for, for this kind of approach. And right. And people know. You know, when he's going to make about 300000 and he's okay going himself with local cops and, and right. they'll know the air, local cops in the air. So this this is a nice conspiracy collusion here to help clear a, a load coming in from a private plane at Tamiami where we get 300 pounds of cocaine through. That says, that says a lot right there. It so does. You, if you don't have a good moral compass and a good background in your life, you can get swayed that way. And I, yeah. and I will see other people get swayed also. Mm -hmm. and, and you have to have a good composite big guys in the set team which i would uh be their, their trainees because they're their training officer right mm -hmm. and after i would leave to go to atf and i'll talk about that i would find out later that they were using their position because we can carry a firearm onto airplanes right to help protect mm -hmm. so but the you know the bag that we carry wouldn't be cleared right and they would be uh -huh. taking kilos of cocaine let's say to puerto rico <laughs> and they would get busted so amazing it's, it is wow. amazing what people do wow. when they when they get in a, in a bad situation. But yeah, the set team, uh, it, it was uh, <clears throat> when I was at the airport, it, it was not common for us to see like 800, 850 pounds of cocaine that came from Guayaquil, Ecuador, that's going to go in fish. So you, you had a big grouper and you had a block of cocaine next to a block of ice. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and that shipment was never going to go where it's supposed to. That goes outside right. and it disappears. Because of the corruption, what what what's was so immense there. Uh, they get yeah. very creative. Uh, I've seen shipments where they were bringing in from Columbia. Because remember, in Miami had so much cargo coming in, we had seven forty sevens just full of flowers, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a handful of people, right? So what are we going to be doing? We get maybe maybe one or two percent of the stuff coming in. It's a, that was the quickest way for the Colombians mm -hmm. back in the nineties to get the cocaine in. Not the slow boat that takes mm -hmm. forever to go to the seaport. No, you're there mm -hmm. in five six hours. From Colombia, if not faster, MIA, it gets ripped, it gets taken out there, and off it goes. And that's the quickest way to get it in there, day in and day out, because they know we have a handful. They would study us. 
they knew the shift work we had, right? Yeah, they knew exactly. They knew what, okay, one or maybe two out of 10 shipments was going to get pinched. So they were like, okay, we already know what the losses are on those. Yes. Right? You're right. They already You're knew. Right. So they already calculated into their losses and they were like, okay, we already know eight out of those 10 are going to be okay. Two or not. So yeah, yeah it's amazing. And, and and they and they know the best times to bring in maybe during shift change, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they have less they less people. I mean, they do their homework right. because you know what? It's a billion billions of dollar business, right? Yes, it is. So they yeah. have a lot of people in their payroll, and is their incentive to figure out what we're doing? And and you see how people they know that who have, don't have a good work ethic, they know people who they're who are approachable because they do their homework also, right? Mm-hmm. So right, those, those are the things I saw firsthand as a uh, young man in my early 20s and you, and you like opens your eyes really quickly uh, oh, sure. that yeah so uh like i was saying before so the flowers coming in 747s it's not just kilos in there sometimes they were put in the stems so they they had they had the ability to put the cocaine inside the stems it's you you really can't find that unless you had intel or even with x-ray it was very difficult sometimes even with a good canine we'll miss it a lot of times so yeah they knew how to smuggle, and and the, and the Columbus were really good at that time, smuggling a lot of cocaine into South Florida. And yeah. um, that's before they collapsed. You know, Escobar went down, the Medellin Cali cartels went down, and there'll be the rise, and we'll talk later about that, of uh, the Mexican cartels right. and, and El Chapo, Sinaloa, CJNG, mm-hmm. and Mencho, and how mm-hmm. they are doing things a lot differently than the Colombians did things, and how they control not only Mexico, but Central America, South America, South and America, there's something yeah. like we have never seen before. Absolutely. Sure. Well, let's uh, let's let's talk about your time uh, from set now, um, moving from there to ATF and starting at ASAC. Um, talk to me about that that transition, how that all worked out. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> one thing with with customs in in Miami is you mm-hmm. network with a lot of people, especially when you do a lot of arrests. You, you're you're talking guys from you know ATF, DEA, uh, customs, and unfortunately at the time I wanted to be a customs agent because. Uh, yeah, I'm an inspector. I'm making an arrest, and we're, do- we're having arrest authority, and we're carrying a firearm. But you're limited to the border, right? You're limited to the airport, to the seaport, you know, to that area where car- the, the international cargo is coming in or out. You know, I was talking about stuff in, but a lot of stuff also goes out, and that stuff's even less checked. So mm-hmm. all the proceeds, all the money, that goes out also, right? A lot of the guns, mm-hmm. the guns these cartels need, they go out. So those teams are even smaller. So what's the percentage wow. also? So th- those are a lot of things people don't realize. It goes into it. It goes back and forth. Our, our, our borders are very porous, very open in, in many, in many, many ways. And we can talk about that in another show, how, mm-hmm. how wide, wide open they are. So <laughs> I network a lot. I network a federal agents. Unfortunately, customs agents don't want, they don't want to hire inspectors and agents because they don't want to deplete the source because they need the inspectors there. Mm-hmm. But that's unfair to us. So I put in for uh, ATF, DEA, FBI, and ATF is the fastest one and picks me up. And the good news is I don't have to go to the Southwest border. I don't have to go to New York City, San Francisco. I stay in Florida and I start in Tampa. My own stomping ground went to school at St. Louis University, which is in uh, north of Tampa in Pasco County. Yeah. So I, I get picked up there. Uh, I start working. This is 2000. And uh, <clears throat> I become... Um, or start working with a lot of undercovers. The group I go into has a lot of undercover agents. Mm-hmm. And because undercover work is something where you just can't jump into, right? You, you have yeah. to study it because you, you get hurt. You have to develop a style. You have to learn how to, how to what, what works where and what doesn't work. Some people are more of a listeners. And I, and I develop a style where I would end up listening a lot, talking enough, but the jury at the end wants to listen to them talk, not to you talk, and see what kind of activity, what they're about, because that plays better with a jury. Because at the end, the kind of case you want to present is like a movie to the jury, which I did. I had the video, the audio. I had clear evidence. So when the jury deliberates, most of my cases, they they pled because they're so strong. But they have to deliberate. I want them to feel strong about it. And same with the, to get to that level, you have to have the prosecutor also feel good about it. So the prosecutor feels good about it. There's no entrapment. They feel predisposed. This is what they do. This is what they did with you. This is what, you, what kind of case you have. That's important that you say that because in the audiobook that um, I was listening to, the ATF Undercover, that's a point that you really made in the book um, was that, you know, you could have the greatest case and have it all zipped up and nice presented with a bow. But if you have a very poor prosecutor and a very poor process in that in that whole thing, it really is not going to work out very well for you, is it? No, no. It's, it's a good team. And that's why you have to be careful, you know, who you work with. 
I uh, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough, and I, I do talk some of the the rough patches I had at the beginning. Yeah, right? that's Sometimes. also something I wanted to ask about as well, too. Yeah, yeah, and, and you see that in everywhere. You do get some ethnic discrimination, right? You get people who really maybe this person, I, one of the people I dealt with, didn't like Hispanics, right? He was in South Florida, and I was in Tampa, and you might butt heads because you have cultural differences. Uh, doesn't like a certain language being spoken. You know, some people only want English only type mentality. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, I'm bilingual, right? And yeah. and my partner, I would transfer another group because it was headbutting going on. Uh, it was an ugly situation. And, you know, I talked a little bit about that in the book. Uh, mm -hmm. The bullet catcher, the Puerto Rican yeah. bullet catcher, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a crazy story, by the way. I was yes. listening to it. I was like, there's no damn way. But I, I mean, I have to believe it at this point. Tell me that yeah, story, you, please. Yeah, you look it up. He, he did a TV show when he retired in Ripley's Believe It or Not. And That's he's wild. done some things. Yeah, he was a Ripley believer or not, and he did some local news stories afterwards. Mm -hmm. And you can look it up. It's uh, one in a million. And this happened in, uh, you know, South Florida in, in, the, yes. in the Westland Mall in Hialeah back mm -hmm. in the late 80s, 1987. He's affecting an arrest. And he goes, he has a SIG 9mm. The bad guy has a SIG 9mm. And he comes in from the front. He's, he's The guy's in the car. He comes in the front to affect the arrest. You have a SWAT team in the back, Hialeah SWAT. And mm -hmm. he shoots at him. And it goes right into the barrel of his firearm. Wow. Wow. So he catch, he, that's what he ended up being called the bullet catcher right there. Boom. <laughs> and then the, the guys from Hialeah, uh, I guess glass and everything else. And he's trying to remember. I talked a lot about it. He's trying to pull the trigger. Nothing's happening. He can't figure out why nothing's working. And uh, he's, a, he's lucky the guy didn't fire some more rounds at him right. <laughs> because he got one. Okay. I'm going to try two or three more and see what happens this yeah. time. You're not that oh, lucky at that gosh. point. <laughs> no, I don't think you keep on yeah, catching yeah. all the bullets. Uh, yeah. Something like the matrix. from the matrix, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and that's the same mall where that, that really horrible shootout happened in the, in the, what was it? The early eighties or mid eighties too? The Westland mall. Yeah. That, that's that the, years uh, uh, there was another shooting, I guess, out there. Also, there, there's quite a lot, a lot of shootings in, in South Florida. No, no doubt about that. Yeah, but, yeah. especially in the. I know Dayland had Dayland Mall had a, had a shooting back in the '80s with the cocaine cowboys. I remember that one too. That's the one I'm thinking about. Yeah, okay, that's the yeah. one. Okay, yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember that was around that era, that era too. But uh, and and so the SWAT team then opens up and I think um, kills a guy, takes care of him from the back mm -hmm. side of the vehicle. So they open up oh. on him, and he, he's yeah. he's lucky there, but. <clears throat> one in a million I, I'm a story so him and I became very close he was a uh, not only a mentor but we, we became friends he was older than me about 17 18 years difference so he, mm -hmm. he was almost like more like a uh, uncle type figure right right and um, he spoke Spanish and, and I learned from him and watching his style and others how he did it and, and I developed my own style right and uh, I let my hair grow out I, I didn't look like this I didn't sound like this obviously no. I, there's I, some I other pictures of you I've seen yeah it's really wild yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, long hair, big beard. Uh, I didn't get tatted out like some guys really get into their tats because I wanted to be able to walk away. I'm back walk to, away. to where I used to be, right? Yeah. Because yeah. then that stays with you. And that mm -hmm. really is not who I am. I mean, I, I some guys love that stuff. That that wasn't what, what I was, was about. That wasn't me. So, mm -hmm. you know, I cleaned up pretty quick. You know, when I'm done, you know, when I went to end up going to headquarters in my career, it was one afternoon after 10 years, never getting a haircut because I had 10 <laughs> years with my hair super long right to the back <laughs> of my hair. I, I yeah. went to, uh, because I transferred up in North Virginia, I went to one of the local shops out here, and just like that, cut it all up, give myself a shave, and I was, what, I was in ATF headquarters, a different person. People said, man, I don't even recognize wow. who you are. My wife said, man, it's like a different person. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, 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 yeah. I, and I spoke with an accent, and I want people to think, uh, you know, I, I just came from Cuba, the Asano, and, you know, my English is mm -hmm. broken. I, mean, mm -hmm. I don't want to think I'm, I'm super educated. You can't do that either, especially when you're you dealing with mid-level people. No, you have to think that one of them, and like I said, I did cases with, I um, uh, had a lot of informants, uh, and like I said, when you, when you develop good informants, and mm -hmm. you're a good handler, you control them well, they can really help, in, especially once they vouch for you, that's it, you're golden. If you say, okay, this guy's good, yeah. you're good. Can make it, But they can also destroy your cases. If they're trying mm -hmm. to play both sides, then they right. can also ruin your investigation also. So you have to, that's what I did, is what, after the introductions were made, I cut them out. If I need them, you know, something's not going right. Hey, when you call him, see what he thinks about me. You know, see what he says to you and get some more intel and then let me know and we can keep on going forward. So now I did a lot of cases of repeat violent offenders, uh, gang members, armed drug dealers, armed home invaders, uh, <clears throat> international firearms traffickers, domestic firearms traffickers, murder for hire cases. So we run the gamut. Of, of different. Yeah. So a ATF, people don't know, they, we do a lot of violent criminals. 
And most mm-hmm. people they don't understand. Most ATF agents, I'd say ninety percent, most I dealt with, are very pro Second Amendment. Are very pro for your, you know, protecting yourself, protecting your family, having your firearms. Um, it's not about you know we're want to take your guns away. You know the whole NRA image of jack uh, jackbooted thugs, you know, coming yeah. into your house just taking <laughs> guns and all that. That's at least ATF agents would take care of really violent criminals, very bad mm-hmm. people, and that, that's what most yeah. of them do. We we do, uh, and very pro Second Amendment, very pro Second Amendment. So there's some misconception there, and and there's a lot of been going back and forth, but it does help for the NRA sell membership. We have the boogeyman, right? Right. And right. and they made us the boogeyman because it helps mm-hmm. sell membership there. Yeah, we, we became their, their whipping boy in, in many ways, and a lot of stuff written about that and stuff. But um, that so that's how I became, and, and I started doing a lot of undercover work from there on. And and I was just the undercover, but I was also the case agent too. And mm-hmm. they also signed me to property, so I was, I was a vocal custodian. And I also because we're a smaller agency than the FBI or DEA, which is a lot larger, we have less than three thousand agents, right? We got to mm-hmm. do a lot more with a lot less resources. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And, um, you know, uh, I was listening to your book, uh, ATF Undercover, which uh, you guys can pick that up on Amazon.com. Just look up Ignacio Esteban. Um, but uh, you really get into some of the cases in Pasco County, uh, yes. which I'm familiar with in the Tampa area. I have, oh, a, yeah. I have family that yeah. lives out there in that area, and uh, I've been in and out of that area many a times. But uh, Pasco County, I know, is a, a breeding ground of some very nefarious type of activity. Um, can you uh, give me an example or maybe talk about one of the cases that that uh, you got yourself involved in? Because there was at least three cases that I listened to and I was just like enthralled because, you know, it, it was just like the whole setup and everything like that. It was just really interesting. Can you give me one of those stories, if you don't mind? Yeah, no, I will. Just before I do that, did you see the news? Just so happy I understand how dangerous Pasco is has become. Mm-hmm. Uh, the MS-13 member in Holiday, yes, who uh, killed that 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 uh, Uber Eats delivery guy. Yes, yes, yes. This pretty much brought him in the house. This member killed him. Yeah. And house of Horrors committed on that yeah. poor guy. Yeah, and and, and and then they found that the bags take him out. People don't realize a lot of these areas is gang infested, and that's what I right. specialized in. I, mm-hmm. I specialize. I wrote a, a book about that. The savagery and brutality of MS-13, Mara Salatrucha, 13. Mm-hmm. They're not just from the West Coast anymore. Yeah, they're, they're everywhere. Nation, nationwide in Canada, in, in Mexico too, and they've taken over Central America. They, wow. they have really expanded, not just from El Salvador. And they really were Salvadoran immigrants. A little background on that, then I'll talk about my whole thing in Paso, Canada. But since yeah. you touched on that, yeah. it all touches all, all together. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen that story, what happened? The sheriff there, I met him a few times when I was in Pasco. Is that, sh- I used to is deal that with Sheriff Jed? White? No, uh, um, no, you know, it's no. another name. I used to deal with Sheriff White. And then okay. uh, this other guy's been in for, for years, younger guy, uh, the Nomic. Yeah, he, these guys are very satanic. They have that background, have a satanic rituals inside right. MS 13. Right. And, and they're very bloodthirsty. Mm-hmm. And, and that's part of their culture is. And that's why the Trump administration wanted to deem them domestic terrorist organization because it's not like the mafia where there's a purpose and business behind it. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of these guys is about a body count. Right. And this could have been about that, that the guy wanted to enhance his murderous reputation. He said, oh, so-and-so's been killing more than I have. Doesn't doesn't have to have a purpose. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are known all over the country to randomly kill people, couples, almost like serial killers. They randomly kill people, right? And that's right. what MS-13 has, has become. They started their background to do protection work for Salvadoran immigrants uh, who were being targeted by other ethnic groups back in the late 70s and early 80s, mm-hmm. and then evolved to this today. And then they got mass deportations because Salvadorians, some of them came illegally, they were deported, and then they spread because Salvador is a very corrupt country, right. very weak law enforcement, right? They mm-hmm. took over. They went to Honduras, Guatemala, and, and now they just keep on in southern Mexico. They're all over Canada. They're all over the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going someplace in Europe. Uh, they keep on expanding. So MS-13, Manasa, those kind of cases you're going to see. Of. I had cases like that, too, putting these kind of people in jail. I did a uh, really good case on the Valentine Bloods in West Pasco. At the time, I was there in 2000. Uh, I worked there for about, in Pasco County, hardcore, a lot of cases. I'll say from 2004, five until mm-hmm. I transferred in 2012. Okay. And, and, I, and I worked with the gang detectives. And we dealt with the worst gang members in Paso County to take them out. And that's one of the cases we did. And we dismantled uh, the Valentine Bloods at the time, which were involved in shootings, robberies, drug traffickings. And we went in there and it took about two and a half year investigation. And at the end, we took out the whole hierarchy from top to bottom. But mm-hmm. like anything else, you know, the main guy, 
he ended up getting almost 17 years. Lesser players got lesser time. We had drug conspiracy cases, firearms, et cetera. They got out. And like anything else, it's generational. If you don't break the cycle, the sons, mm-hmm. the cousins, they get into, into this world. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're back into it. Well, not only that, I mean, you take these guys out, and then now there's a power vacuum now too, right? Yes, right. So that allows other gangs to come in and infiltrate where they weren't allowed to before because the stronghold that the Valentine Bloods had in that area, now that's gone. Now they say, oh, well, now this is our time to capitalize and maybe uh, you know get something out of the pie here now. So that's it, it super just, It crazy. just seems like we, we take one out, it just spreads. It's like an mm-hmm. ant colony, right? You, right? you hit this part of the ant, it just goes around. And just mm-hmm. keeps on getting stronger and, and, and has more tentacles. Maybe yeah. it's it's really really unfortunate. I I've, I've talked about it in my book also and other books I've written uh, about the the fall of the Mexican mafia. I mean mm-hmm. the fall of the Italian mafia mm-hmm. and the rise of the street gangs and the, the cartels in this country. It, it's right. stronger than ever. The, the bikers are still there, but they're not strong. They're it's gotten weaker. The one percenters and the mafia is completely decimated. Completely right. decimated. Italian mafia is completely decimated in this country, but the cartels. And, and the street gangs are flourishing. So I mentioned the Valentine Bloods. Uh, I mentioned other hardcore uh, traffickers. And also I did a lot of also trafficking cases too. You know, mm-hmm. Florida is a source state for weapons. Mm-hmm. And I, I would deal with all different kinds of characters from a dirty FFL, federal firearm licensee. I mean, those are people who are, who, who are supposed to give the public trust to have a license to do things the right way. The right way. We're not. And, and, and unfortunately, there's a good, I don't say a lot, but there's a good 5%, maybe more that do what this guy did. And I'll, I'll tell a little story about him. Yeah. What he did. And uh, this started with like anything else. You start an investigation mm-hmm. and you work your way up. Right. I had a, uh, this guy was trafficking guns to Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. He was from Wesley chapel. Uh, I had an introduction from an informant. He, he was already convicted out of Puerto Rico for trafficking firearms. He was mm-hmm. a dirty FedEx employee, right? He was back. He, and then he was already convicted felon pending sentencing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pending's being sentenced. And now he's selling guns. He goes to the flea markets and gun shows. He's buying, he's, he's selling me quite a few guns. He's selling me FNs, 5.7 millimeters, very mm-hmm. high end weapons, right? Mm-hmm. At the end, with a buy bus, I have a team from Puerto Rico who had a case on him. And I will put a, a case on him. I buy a Tommy gun from him with a 75 round drum, uh, about 10 other weapons. And we do a buy bus and take him down right there in the Target and Wesley Chapel. Boom. Wow. He's done in his house with more weapons. That's just one guy right there. We get another source he used to deal with. Uh, he's a school teacher up in Citrus County. Hmm. Right? And so you, you see all the walks of different people. And this is fascinating about ATF. It's not the same kind of person you think of. Okay, this guy was a former FedEx employee, right? He went dirty. This mm-hmm. guy's a school teacher. He, mm-hmm. He's stealing firearms without a license. You need, you need to get yourself set up because you're not doing backgrounds. You're buying all these right. guns, right? And he kept kept on repeating buying for him because he's been doing this supplement because he's he's a school teacher up in Citrus County. Mm-hmm. They they probably make uh, I would imagine maybe thirty thousand a year, right. maybe less. And mm-hmm. he he has a nice truck, right? Mm-hmm. He wants a certain lifestyle, right? right? So he's supplementing it, doing this, but he's not doing it the right way because he's not doing backgrounds. He's buying buying guns, no paperwork being done here at all, and, and certain ways to do things. So I deal with him, and I buy a lot, a lot until at the end <clears throat> we take him down with like forty some weapons. In a car up in Hernando County, mm. we take him down. I get introduced. I meet a federal firearms licensee, and he he tells me that he says, "Hey, I said I tell him my guns don't stay here; they go down other places, you know, to Mexico." I said, "Oh, not a problem." He said, "I cook my books pretty much." He says, "I order from the wholesaler, and I don't put them in into my A and D acquisition disposition book." So ATF when the inspectors come, right? They'll check. They won't notice which what what guns I have missing and don't have. So mm-hmm. he would tell me how he'll do a workaround and sell mm-hmm. me the guns. So we would take him down also, and he was a federal firearms licensee. He was an older uh, white man in his mid fifties, maybe I think sixties at the time, and 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 he was doing that that way also. And a lot of guns would get off, and he said he was dealing with people who were selling guns, uh, sending them out to uh, in the ports to Puerto Rico and to Mexico. Mm. So he was funneling all this stuff to different countries and getting away with it, and nobody ever until, knew. Uh, until I, I got introduced to him, and then he ended up losing his license. And again, and, and it's unfortunate with farms trafficking cases, mm-hmm. um, that the, 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 the former FedEx guy, he ended up getting five, six years because he was a convicted felon, right? And he right. and the amount of weapons he had. Uh, the teacher, he got probation. Okay, a little slap on the wrist. A lot there, of huh? weapons. 
<laughs> yeah, so you, you you don't you don't get a big punishment for firearms trafficking, and this FFL lost his license, got two years. Wow, now, I I think the punishment, and I and I talked about that in my book, I think, mm-hmm. where we need to have stronger punishment for firearms traffickers, right? Yes, just like we absolutely. do for armed um, and minimum mandatory, where there, there is a big punishment when you're trafficking guns, at least a minimum mandatory of five years for a lot of these gun guys who are trafficking a lot, at least 10, 15 weapons, because if not, it, it's really oh, you get slipping, you know, a, a slap on your wrist. And you get made probation sometimes, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, or, the, or the straw purchasers who go into the stores to buy guns for felons, they lie in the forms, right? The ATF form when you go to FFL, and that's mm-hmm. how they're trafficking guns. And we used to get a lot of cases like that too, where guys would buy, you know, same make and model, eight or 10 of the same, the red flag right there. That's and a those problem. Guns would be trafficked. Right. Because yeah. I was also yeah. in a trafficking group at the end of my career with Florida Department of Law Enforcement, FDLE in Miami. And we used mm-hmm. to do a lot of trafficking cases. People doing that all the time, and the guns will be going uh, to Jamaica, to Haiti, to the Caribbean, Mexico. It, it's just a hub of people wouldn't imagine how many weapons. So it's fascinating. I think if you like these stories, I think people like my book, and uh, they'll they'll enjoy the listen or the read, whichever you Absolutely. prefer. I think you'll enjoy. It. Yeah, uh, go I, everybody. Give a shout out to Sean Milo, my my professional voice actor. I think he did a, did a great job, and, and we're working on a lot of more books. We have seventy of them. Right. The next one we're working on right now is the, the most dangerous crime syndicates of our time. That mm-hmm. one has a lot of stuff put together. It's all the short stories I put together between the, the Italian mafia, the one percenters, uh, Yakuza, uh, the cartels, and other groups all in there. So we're like 300. It's going to be like almost seven hours. That one's going to be almost seven hours. And then I'm doing Killers and Tyrants, which I also do politics because of my background. Mm-hmm. I also do, I talk about, you know, communist China. I do, you know, what's going to war in Ukraine. And I do a lot of political books from Gaddafi uh, to Castro to uh, Nicolas Maduro, which is an indicted uh, domestic narco terrorist, right? Mm-hmm. He's out there still. So a lot of interesting things. And then I mix it with there with a lot of killers and tyrants and everything else. I think that's another one that's going to be pretty interesting. So, yeah, you really cover the gamut of, uh, of, of all this stuff, man. You really I enjoy really... it. I, I love it, man. I never thought I'd be doing this. I'll be honest with you. When I retired from headquarters, ATF, I never thought I'll be writing. I become you know, a prolific writer, people call me. And mm-hmm. now I'm doing these shows, and I really enjoy that. I've been doing these shows now for over a year now. And I, and I shout out, I, let me start, let me give a shout out to uh, <clears throat> Hollywood Wade from Crime Entertainment. Uh, he mm-hmm. saw me first. He liked my work. He put me on, and I it just snowballed. Snowball and all of a sudden, like I just, everybody wanted me on, blah, blah, blah. And it just keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I really enjoy these shows. I come prepared too. I think people notice that. I come prepared Absolutely. with what I enjoy. Sometimes you yeah. notice that some people don't, and you I don't tell. tell the same story. And I don't yeah. tell the same story. I can tell yeah. you a hundred different stories, a hundred different times. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, that's interesting, man. And you really do a good job of um, getting your stuff out there. And like I said, you have a lot of things that you cover uh, on Amazon. Go check out the books, please, everybody. Uh, also the autobiography, ATF Undercover. But um, let me ask you this, Ignacio. Um, you know, obviously you have to get into this mentality of being an undercover agent, right? Um, how do you balance that with your personal life? How do you go from being Mr. A guy at work and then go home and be Mr. B guy? How does that work? Yeah, you, you got to disconnect very, very quickly. The good thing is I had a, a, a good hour drive mm. from Pasco mm-hmm. to where I lived in South Hillsboro, right? Okay. So yeah. so that that helps. You have an hour to disconnect and, and get yourself and, and get prepared. And sometimes that's good to have that time. It's like a commute. In some ways, a commute is good, right? Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have their work persona and the other home persona, right? Mm-hmm. You get it. Maybe mm-hmm. people who are bosses have to act a certain way. And when you're at right. home, you have to act a certain way. So you get that commute time to get your head together and say, okay, now I have my little ones here. We're going to do this. My wife, we're going to work on this stuff there. And you have to be good to focus. When it's time to focus at work, you focus at work. When it's time to focus on your home life, you try to focus on But it's tough because the job I had also, you had an informant. And right. informants call you all different hours, right? right? And they have their yeah. own issues too. And bad guys, when you're dealing with them, they test you, and they call you. Let's say Sunday night to see if you're going to pick up. And I always have my my you know my UC phone with me, right? Mm-hmm. And I always record those calls. So you know you have to excuse yourself and go. And 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 once you're calling these guys Sunday night, it's like okay, there's no way he's going to be an agent if he's calling me back on a Sunday night. Where you know, right. most agents want to work, they think only work nine to five, right? Right. And I worked all the time. I work all the time. <laughs> I work. A good undercover is always ready and prepared and willing to work, especially in a case that you're passionate about and you want mm-hmm. to see succeed. If not, these cases fall apart. 
and then you're just spinning your wheels. And I, I, I was down one day, and I overcame a lot of problems. It wasn't easy. You I'm sure. Here. Yeah, I dealt with some yeah. bad supervisors. Oh well, that, I'm sure, yeah, we have all done dealt dealt with those kind of people. But you know, yeah. being outside of 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 the undercover work in your personal life, have you ever encountered somebody that was part of your work life? while you were in your personal life, like maybe just being out and about, has that ever crossed paths? No, no, because I, I worked such a big dis distance. Okay. That okay. I, I did that on purpose. Yeah. I Good. would not work where I lived. Uh, that's yeah. for sure. So, right. and if people don't know, it's a big you know drive from, you know, West side of Pasco and say Newport Ritchie, Port Ritchie, Wesley Chapel, Dade city, right. and all the way down South Hillsboro. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's that those worlds don't collide. Those right. worlds don't collide. And all these right. guys don't have the means you know, they're, they're mid-level, street level. That's their world, and they, they kind of don't don't expand too far from that level. And and I know that too. And the world I live with down south was completely different there also back then. Mm -hmm. And same mm -hmm. in South Florida. You know, I will live, let's say, down in Kendall, right? Okay. And I right. a lot of stuff I, I would do up in in uh, Hollywood and Hollandale, right? Yeah. So like an hour away, basically. Yeah. An yeah. hour. So you keep those worlds separate. Yeah. I, I would right. not be working unless I, I try to say those are things I think about and plan ahead. So. <clears throat> uh, I tried not to have those kind of, well, but it happens, but I fortunately didn't happen to me. Good, 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 good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, let's switch gears for a second here, Ignacio. Let's talk about something a little bit different. Uh, you also wrote another book uh, called, uh, it was it uh, Biker Gangs, The One Percenters. So this yes. was really interesting. I, 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 I read this book. I found it fascinating because I have a, a weird infatuation with biker gangs. Uh, okay. ever since ever since i was a kid uh you know that's uh i think we had this discussion offline but uh ever since i was a kid i didn't know any about any gangs you know there was no bloods there's no crips you know where i grew up there was no latin kings there was none of that stuff where, where did you grow up here in west palm so um yeah so there really wasn't a, a huge proliferation of that stuff i mean you saw it maybe in the periphery but nothing you know crazy but what i did see a lot of were biker gangs biker gangs oh, really? Yeah, yeah, ever since I was a kid. And, you know, that's something that always stuck with me. And I read this book and I found it very, you know, informing because I didn't know about the big four. Uh, I didn't know anything about that. But uh, tell us a little bit about this book. Um, you know, uh, tell us about the, the OMGs. Uh, explain to listeners who the big four are, uh, if you could, and, and give us a little introduction. I, I have it now as the, uh, the big six. Uh, because you, you got the, the ones you know, the Hell's Angels, right? Right. The Outlaws, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have the, the Pagans. Uh, mm -hmm. You have the uh, the Vagos, the Bandidos, the Mongols. So I, that's why I have six. There's so many other ones, but those are the ones that are really the strongest. Mm -hmm. there's, there's so many. So, uh, you know, they, they're considered a uh, criminal enterprise, right? They, they, right. They, so a lot of racketeering cases. What's a racketeer and RICO influence corrupt organization cases are done on them with their conspiracies to promote their organization, their enterprise. So it's, I found them also fascinating. I, I worked a few cases with the outlaws out there in Florida and, and, and out, well, they were outlaws in, in Pasco County and Tampa. You know, it, it, for a while it was an outlaw state, but I'm seeing talking. I've been out of that game in 2012. I went to Miami, worked different kind of cases, more or more with armed drug dealers and gang members of farms trafficking, right? I did some of that too, but I dabbled a lot in gangs and stuff up there. And I noticed the outlaws had control of Florida back in, I would say, 2000s to maybe 2012, 14. And then okay. now it seems like the Mongols were West Coast, right? Mm -hmm. I've come over to Florida with uh, and joined an alliance where I appear where I've been reading and studying and talking to people with the pagans. So you have now the Mongols and the pagans now like joining forces to take over Florida to push out the outlaws. It seemed like the outlaws ever since the fall of Taco Bowman in the late nineties, right? He was the face of the outlaws, ruthless, vicious, brutal individual, you know, mm -hmm. which, which, which shows you. And, and he was a guy raised in Detroit in the Michigan area. And he went to Catholic schools and he sent his kids to private schools. Wow. And he ended up becoming a, a, a murderer. Mm. So mm. it's, it's amazing. how people turn like that. And what caused them to turn, you know, mm -hmm. you hear about that, like serial killers who, who were, who were alter boys or, or, or hitmen, right? Well, mm -hmm. we, we mm -hmm. the show, we saw that one guy who he, he was, he went to Catholic school, he was an altar boy. Right. And, and, and he becomes a hitman for the, the mafia. Yeah. M mindset, you see it and you're like, wow, I went to Catholic schools. I guess they do have percentage, but I guess they didn't, they didn't learn the message from, from the priest or the, uh, <laughs> the, the brother priest, or yeah. the nun. <laughs> so yeah, they, they that, must that, have that message that day. fell through. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, forgot about yeah. that. Thou should not kill. 
right right <laughs> usually at the top of the list you know usually oh my uh, goodness so so yeah. that's where i see florida in a battle i think it's mm-hmm. interesting florida's in a battle right now uh for the heart of that but again they're not what they used to be i mean you know people mm-hmm. think of that, that bikers how you know badass they were you know back in the 60s 70s and 80s but with the fall of the mafia the fall of organized crimes it seems like the cartels are getting stronger and stronger and they're pushing through harder and 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 the street gangs because you know the mongols were in a nasty battle in southern california i talk about my book in yeah, the, the biker rise and fall of Vasos. and uh with the uh the not the Sorena, but mexican mafia mm-hmm. and, and they were and they lost and wow. they lost because the mexican mafia has a lot of street soldiers right foot mm-hmm. soldiers with right. Sorenos and other ones so any group ms13 any group that put what's the 13 mean the 13 is is, is the m is the 13th letter in the alphabet right la m the mexican mafia is known as la m so la any group that puts a 13 hyphenated to it ms13 or other groups that put ms13 sureño 13 a mm-hmm. sur 13 that means they have an alliance with la mexican mafia so mm-hmm. very strong group very strong group and that's a, a foe that you don't want to fight you don't want to fight especially a lot of these guys were doc Cavazos himself was a sureño who don't know him he grew up in the street gangs, so which is very different. You look at Taco Bowman, a guy who grew up in Catholic school. How did he get involved in that culture? Which I found right. fascinating. But I understand how this guy did. He got he was a Sureño street guy, right? Mm-hmm. He got recruited by the Mongols, and I guess he didn't respect what he saw there. He saw right. these guys a bunch of drunk drunk guys, and he knows in the street you have to be respected. So he makes the mistake. He starts bringing in a lot of his old buddies from the Sureños and making them Mongols, right? But a lot of these guys don't even know how to ride a bike. They don't have a Harley. <laughs> so it, it's 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 not really a biker gang. Guys in trucks would throw in there because you know they don't own any of that. They didn't grow up with that culture. It's a different mm-hmm. culture. And then mm-hmm. the Mexican mafia says, "No, you got to pay a tax. You're taking our foot soldiers away from us." He doesn't mm-hmm. want to do that. He tells him mm-hmm. pound sand. It doesn't end up well for him because at the end, it's not just one Operation Black Rain ATF operation. Not two. Right. Not three. Not four. Not five, not six, not seven, but eight ATF agents infiltrate the Mongols. Four f- male, and then they bring their girlfriends in because they can't be getting hit on by other ones. So they bring four female agents in to play as their girlfriends, and mm-hmm. it's complete devastation for the Mongols. Wow. Complete devastation. You, they hit them hard. Do you think that the fall of the mafia allowed the cartel to come into the United States? If, like, let me ask you this. If the, if the, Italian mafia was still running hard like they did, let's just say, like in the 80s and 90s. Do you think the cartel would have still been around? Oh, no. Cartels are stronger than them ever were. They, they're, they're more vicious, more brutal, more, more thirsty. I mean, the stuff these guys do, it's unbelievable. If you haven't seen the, the videos out there, how brutal these guys are. I yeah. mean, you look at La, Las Cepas, how, how mm-hmm. the disease, how, how brutal they are, Sinaloa. I mean, El, El Chapo Guzman, his rise in ranks, he, he came from object poverty, right? Selling oranges yeah. in, in the streets mm-hmm. uh, to worth billions and billions of dollars. And that worth was like $10, $12 billion. Obviously, now he's in the Supermax. But what he was good at, just like El, 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 El Mencio Cervantes, was they were killers. Right. And they killed early. And, yeah. and you, you messed with their territory, you got killed. You sold them bad product, you got killed. You did something, you, you, you looked them the wrong way, you got killed. You got killed, right. And not just yeah. you, but your whole family too. That's the crazy part. And you know what? Uh, it's funny that you mentioned um, the Chapito uh, or Chapo. Um, his sons are kind of wreaking havoc down there right now, the Chapitos. I'm not yeah, sure. The Chapitos if you, are. Yeah. So yeah, one of them just yeah. got arrested again. One of them just right. got arrested. Yeah. Right. And it, yeah, it's, it's always going to be somebody. If it's not the son, it'll be the cousin or the nephew. Because you know mm-hmm. what? When you're, something like that is making you know, $15, 20000000000 billion a year. You know, and these guys came from nothing. I mean, this guy was semi semi illiterate. He dropped out of school in fifth grade, and these right. guys, all these guys are the same, but they they know how to do this, and they're good yeah. at this, and they have no qualms killing, none at right. all, and, and they don't care. And if oh, you didn't learn a lesson? Well, bring bring the wife and the kids in front of them, and dismember them in front of him, and then kill him. And this is what we do, people like you. And if you're mm-hmm. a police and you want to enforce the laws, well, they'll go after you too, and they'll target you and your whole family. And then they and they'll just remember you go in the precinct, which is a lot of cases like that. These small little towns, because they outgun them, they go in there, they kidnap the officers, and then they do house of horrors, dismember them, and leave little signs. Are this is what happens to those who enforce the laws in this town? 
Mm-hmm. Are you going to force a law of your police officer there? Yeah, that's 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 kind of hard to swallow on that one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're probably going to say, you know what? I'm going to look the other way, or I'll be part of this because I don't have enough firepower, and these guys have all the firepower. And of course, a lot of it comes from the United States, and and Mexico has very strict gun laws, and that's why I say you can have all the gun laws you want, but the bad guys are not going to follow it because right. look at these guys; they have all the money, all the power. They have anything they want. They go after the police. They terrorize the, the local uh, villagers or citizens, and, and they go after the military, too. It's not uncommon mm-hmm. them to uh, to shoot down with their Barretts, 50 Cal Barretts, helicopters in in the air of military helicopters. So they, mm-hmm. they go to war with everybody. They go to war, and they're prepared. Ignacio, corruption is the biggest problem in Mexico, corruption. The corruption, of course. So, Ignacio, so you being um, having all this experience and, 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 and learning how to take down, you know, organizations, what do you think is the way to combat uh, the the cartel situation here in the United States. Yeah, that's, that's a difficult situation. It, it took years to get bigger, right? Than where they are mm-hmm. now, it's going to take years right. to fight it. But <clears throat> like we like I said, we're losing the war on drugs. We've lost the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. It, how we combat? Well, very simple. People stop using. People don't use. There are the drug business, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's like with uh, alcohol, they legalized it. I, I don't know if we can legalize cocaine, heroin. I know marijuana. It, it appears, at least in the state I'm in now, has been legalized recreationally. Right, mm-hmm. a lot of states. I think Florida's medical. I think may go recreational now. What right. they're talking about, a lot of states. Yep. You look all over; it's recreational now. So you start with marijuana, okay? Other drugs, people need treatment. I think that's the key right there: is treatment, get help. Start at a young age. I know Nancy Reagan. You know Reagan's uh, wife said, "Just say no." Yeah, but you need mm-hmm. kids to see how how what. I mean, maybe a scare straight program. This is how your life can end up getting really crappy and out of control. You become an addict, a junkie. And you don't want that kind of life. Maybe have former users come in and help kids, you know, get straight because that's where you have to start where it, it doesn't get to, okay, maybe you hit the marijuana part, but you know, don't go into the, uh, the heroin, the cocaine and, right. and, and a, financially and be it, it also ruins life and other, all these pills they're taking too. Right. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. Uh, we, I just read an article, uh, about the Chapitos and, um, uh, it said, uh, Accordingly to this report, according to this report, uh, they were responsible for the majority of the 107,345 lethal overdoses between August 2021 and August 2022, according to an indictment filed in New York. Uh, filed in New yes. York. Uh, yes, so, yeah. Yeah. That's the fentanyl. I mean, the fentanyl, fentanyl right now is, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's exploded. It's, it's, it's something where people really, really need to get help and really understand how dangerous this is. And there's nothing sexy or fun about this, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing mm-hmm. cool about this. Right. This is going to destroy yeah. your life, destroy your family. You know how a lot family's been destroyed over this? It, it is uh, absolutely. appalling. It's appalling. And not just the United States. It's a problem in Canada. It's a, it's a problem in Europe. It, it's becoming a global problem. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these cartel groups are hate the United States. And they want to weaponize it. And it's corruption from within these governments, too. Uh, you, you look what happened in uh, Honduras with uh, Hernandez, who was extradited, who used to be the president. And he was saying that it was to be, and he had the military protecting the drug loads from Colombia and Venezuela to then come over here so that he, he can weaponize against the United States so America would fall like a rotten apple from within. That's what they're mm-hmm. trying to do in a lot of these countries. Nicolas Maduro hates this country. There's no doubt about it. Right. I mean, oh, he's, he's, he's a, he's a yeah. narco trafficker. He's right. no communist. Right. He's no, he's, Hugo Chavez, he's no communist because he, he lives in a palace. He's worth billions. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, we're, he's no communist. He, you know, his father was a hardcore communist. He went to Cuba and studied communism with Fidel Castro. But mm-hmm. he's, these are capitalists. These guys are all about making money. The people yeah. are going to be kept a certain way. But this guy doesn't live like that. No. And he controls it. And anybody questions or confronts him, he's told the last election. Anybody knows that. You know, South Florida, I do a lot of Venezuelans. Mm-hmm. And you know, he stole the election. And he's mm-hmm. there. He, he's a dictator. He's there illegally. He needs to be replaced. Uh, he's been indicted. Maybe maybe they'll bring him in like uh, or uh, Noriega back in 1989 in uh, Operation mm-hmm. Just Cause. Cause yep. maybe I, I hope so. I hope that uh, they don't give him a lifeline and we start taking oil there with Chevron because he'll stay there forever. Right. I know, oh, yeah. I know Putin's oh, yeah. bad, but we can't help Venezuela and keep this guy either. So I've talked no, about my book not. too. Yeah, so. it's amazing how these uh, ancillary countries, you know, really affect what's going on here in the United States. I mean. Oh, for instance, uh, Cuba is like what ninety miles off the coast of, of Key West, uh, literally. And um, do you see a lot of uh, you know activity f- coming from Cuba now? Still, you know, even after Castro has been, 
you know, supposedly been, been dead, dead for years now. Castro been dead. Yeah. His, his brother Raul is, is soon to die. He's in his nineties. Uh, He's the last mm-hmm. of the uh, revolutionists, right? That, that right. came into power in the uh, <clears throat> late fifties. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, a, a different generation. We hope for change. I mean, a lot of the video I see out there, you see a lot of exposure of rations and how struggling they are with the communist system. Uh, this yes. whole centralized system does, doesn't work, and people are, are suffering. I think they want to embrace because Cuba used to be a very prosperous nation before yes. Castro. It was very mm-hmm. successful, very capitalistic. Um, mm-hmm. Hoping that uh, you know, I'll, I'll let go one day to visit Cuba. Americans used there. to go over there and gamble back in the you know early sixties. Yeah. That was the place to go. Fifties, I mean, yeah, it was big yeah. in the forties and fifties. Uh, yeah. and, and and when this country had prohibition, people come to the United States. I went mean, to Cuba to get away from the prohibition that the United States mm-hmm. had. So they always they had always that whole culture, their gambling, everything else is very well done. And then, and then we can talk about that in another show. You know, the rise and fall of the mafia in Havana led to the rise in Las Vegas because oh, uh, really? the collapse there at San Traficante Jr. Meyer Lansky. It was a who's who, uh, Lucky Luciano. What they, mm-hmm. they in fact they had the Havana conference there in the late forties after the Second War. Uh, the the creation of the mafia was entrenched with uh, Batista. Batista there. Lorenzo Batista and the corruption mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, I mean, there was issues there in Cuba. Obviously, a lot of corruption with the mafia, but this was worse. Sometimes better, better the devil you know than the devil you don't the, know. Don't know. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> and, and that's a hell of a devil. And that was yeah. a hell of a devil. Yeah. Yeah. Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, Raul Castro. Man. And then at the end, how does he pay? He has him killed when he's out in South America and, right. uh, and Bolivia. In Bolivia, because right. he, too, he didn't want his to get bigger than him. He had to be the ultimate El Comandante Revolutionary, right? Right. Yeah, of course. That's what Fidel Castro had to be. He had a huge ego. Huge yes, ego. He brutal. Yeah. yeah, he did. So, yeah. And that's that's a little politics there. And I write about that, Cuba, uh, Castro and the mob. So, and I put that in, in my other books about organized crime and everything else. And interesting things, like my own family members didn't realize how much the mafia was in Cuba. Mm-hmm. You know, you mm-hmm. look at some of these names. San Traficante was out of the Tampa family. And I right. would see some of his stuff when I worked in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meyer Lansky was in Miami. You right. know, he came back. None of these guys, they had a lot of money and they lost it all just like that. Because Castro nationalized a lot of the stuff. Never mm-hmm. to return to Cuba. Mm-hmm. Never to return to Cuba. So there you go. That's fascinating. No, it is. It is very fascinating. And, you know, again, you know, we talk about all these uh, organized crime, uh, you know, just agent, you know, just outfits and, you know, these people that, you know, are able to really organize a system where it's really hard to break and then when you have money involved and you have so much power involved it is almost impossible to break where do you see do you see us being able to get ahead of that or is that just something that's always going to be a perpetual thing you think is it always going to be just always against us them always us them you know is it always ever going to end you think you're talking about the the corruption yeah. we're yeah. dealing with. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I I think it's something that's. Uh, like I said, we have to shake the. If if we're not going to shake the, our addiction for drugs, mm-hmm. right. And I was going to go when I was in headquarters. Uh, I was thinking about going in because we have agents all over the world too. Mm-hmm. You know, we have an Europol, Interpol, mm-hmm. in Mexico and in El Salvador and in different locations. And I was thinking about going into Mexico City, and and working there, but then Lopez Obrador is kind of a socialist. Who his his tactics with the um, not like Calderon, who was very aggressive against cartel leadership. He was very mm-hmm. soft with cartel leadership, right? Mm-hmm. He was hoping that the violence would go away if he appeased him. It hasn't. Right. It's things that have been as violent as ever, even 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 more than, than with Calderon and 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 uh, and, Peña, and of course uh, uh, Peña Nieto. Uh, they they say there's issues with him that he was under to take. That's what El Chapo was a fugitive for so long. Mm-hmm. According to his trial, allegedly one of the witnesses said that. Uh, uh, Peña Nieto wanted to, bro- wanted to be paid off like about three hundred million, and he offered him a hundred million, and he took it. <laughs> wow! So, wow. If, if the guy on the top is taking that kind of money, what what, do you, what are your chances? What are you going to do? Right? Yeah, I mean, I'll, look at recently with Lopez Obrador, and and that uh, there was a general named Sin Fuego. You can look this one up. It was mm-hmm. LAX. He had mm-hmm. been indicted uh, for money laundering. Uh, they had him arrested, and he insisted the United States release him. Insisted, really? insisted, and the, and the Trump administration put pressure, and he did. Question is why? What was he, was he afraid? Of what he's going to say? What was right. going to happen? Yeah. So why? Why would he want to? He's been indicted, and have the case unless he plays out. So, and, and then he revoked our diplomatic immunity in the United States. Mm. 
mm-hmm. agents down in Mexico don't have diplomatic community and don't want to carry those weapons and don't want to do any investigations. Well, that's, <laughs> I'm not going to be in there. In that kind of, I'm going to take my family in that kind of culture yeah, with, no. with not being well-armed, no yeah. diplomatic community, and you yeah. don't want, what, what am I doing here? Yeah. That's that's not going to work. And I retired, and I said, did my time in headquarters, which was great. I got to sell, I had to work the street mm-hmm. and sell the street, and then I promoted, and uh, it's a process just to promote, and I went to headquarters, and I worked with the uh, number one in command for the central region, who later became number two command overall for ATF, and became wow. good friends with him. And I got to see a lot behind the scenes what was going on with ATF, which was fascinating. It's different when you're in the street, and then when you're in headquarters, how things are. So I find, yeah. and I talk a lot about my my book also about all that stuff, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys can check that out, of course. ATF Undercover, you can check it out at Amazon.com. Just look up Ignacio Esteban. Um, Ignacio, listen, I mean, we've covered this uh, this subject here for an hour. I mean, we could talk about another two hours uh, talking yeah, about this Yeah, a lot of things to talk about. And we didn't even touch yeah. politics, really. We didn't even touch <laughs> politics. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, uh, but uh, you, you have such uh, a prolific uh, outreach right now when it comes to all your books. Um, you, you know, continue to keep writing, my friend. Let me tell you that. Uh, oh, it's, 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 it's great. I mean, really, I mean, the more, more material you put out there, the better. And, and uh, just hearing all these uh, wonderful stories, um, I think is, it's just it's an eye-opening experience for a lot of people. So, um, you, Ignacio, tell everybody where they can find your stuff and, uh, you know, follow you and, and things like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm exclusively on Amazon, mm-hmm. exclusively on Amazon. So you tap my name, you'll see it. I have a, an author page there too. If my bio, all my 70 books are, are there. If you're a Kindle unlimited subscriber, all my books are free. ATF Undercover is uh, exclusively on Audible, so you can look at that also. Uh, I'm also, if you like our content here um, on, on Facebook, LinkedIn, and also you can go on YouTube or Rumble, type in my name. I've done now close to, I think, over 70 shows at least. That's amazing. I, I, I've done so many in, in a year. I'm always getting, and I do live shows, I do all kinds of shows, uh, all variety of different types of international I do shows in Australia. I do shows in London. I've done shows all over the U.S. Uh, and and it's, it's really, really fun. And I'm hoping now also working on uh, finishing my, I finished the screenplay, uh, my t- hopefully for a pilot for a TV series based on my life, ATF Undercover. I think that'll be exciting too. And I'm also looking at other avenues. People said, yeah, maybe you should do some, since you have so much content, I had producers reach out to me, so maybe you should do your own docuseries Absolutely. or documentary. And so I'm yeah. thinking about doing that. I'm looking at some of the stuff like that. I'm also right now, uh, a book on serial killers, psycho mm. killers. I just finished the first chapter. Right up my Ted alley, Bundy. right there, my friend. Yeah, oh, oh, Ted Bundy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just finished, yeah. I just finished Ted. I just finished Ted Bundy. I'm going Dahmer next, and I have like 14 of them that I might do. Like I didn't know much about H. H. Holmes. Mm, yeah, the original one here in Chicago, yeah, yeah, the Chicago. House of Horrors. Oh yeah, House of Horrors. He said torture chambers and everything else, they, traps and think, stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. It, it, some people think that he may have been Jack the Ripper. They came yeah. over because about the same time, or maybe they're different Jack the Rippers, and he was one of them. You know, there's mm-hmm. that theory out there too that people copycat, right? Yep. And they listen to paper, and then they the other guys. There was a lull, and maybe this one came over here. There's a lot of theories. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about that in, in my in my book too. So that's exciting. I kind of like that. So I always yeah. find topics that make me excited. Yeah, no, that's so, wonderful, okay. man. Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, if you're a writer out there and, mm-hmm. and you like writing, <clears throat> let me say this: uh, find something that is passionate about that you really enjoy dive into it, start. I like typing. I'm not a physical writer. I just like on my keyboard and just start. I have my outlines. My, I do my outlines first. And then I start typing. Work. And you got to make changes. You will be for editing. But get out there and write the product. Get it done. Go work on it back and forth. And then you can go, if you can't get a publisher, don't recommend it. I self-published everything. Go to mm-hmm. Kindle, Amazon. You self-publish and you can keep 80% of it. There it's you all go. yours. Yeah, yeah, you're but, not paying somebody else to put out your book for you. Yeah, it's ridiculous. No, then they, they you get very you, some of them really. It's a lot of things out there you need to be careful about. Don't sign any and don't sign any contracts without mm-hmm. understanding. Get your attorney because it, it won't be good for you. At least with this, it's yours. You own it. You own the rights to it. Right. Okay, you can take it off when you want. You can publish. You, there's so many advantages to it. But you have to. I do it all. I market myself, just like my undercover. Remember, I did everything myself. I was a case agent. I was the undercover. I did the property, my workup. So you heard to use this. <laughs> I'm used to it. So I'm doing, I'm doing the same thing now. Now I do my marketing, my own shows. I promote myself. I talk to a lot of people, and I'm always networking. And don't be afraid to meet new people. Uh, you know, without Facebook and these shows, I never would have met Will. Never mm-hmm. met. Amla. I never would have met the network of people that I have met, which That's is pretty true. amazing. 
Absolutely. Listen, uh, Ignacio, thank you so much for coming on Dark Fringe Radio. Everybody, go check out his stuff at Amazon.com. Just look up his name, Ignacio Esteban. You'll find all of his books there. 70 plus. My gosh. I mean, geez. And, and uh, counting, yeah. <laughs> and counting. Yeah, he's not done yet. And so, no. Ignacio, thank you so much again for coming on the show. We'll have to have you on for part two. And uh, sure. thank you again. Thank you again. Thank you, well, man. Always. All right. Take care. Thank you. Ciao. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, retired ATF agent, Mr. Ignacio Esteban. I mean, what a great interview. A lot of insight. Uh, man, just go out there and try to get his book, ATF Undercover. Go to Amazon.com and uh, check it out. You'll really enjoy it. It's a really fascinating look into police work and how to take down, you know, uh, organized crime and, uh, you know, very nefarious people out there. So it's it's a really, really, really good read. Make sure you check that out again, Amazon.com, Ignacio Esteban. So, uh, again, everybody, if you uh, can, please uh, check out our website, darkfringeradio.com, and uh, make sure you check out all our stuff there. Over 124 episodes now uh, and counting. And uh, make sure you check out our, our merch store uh, at darkfringeradio.com. Just go and click the link at the top, and you can uh, see all the latest stuff that we have there going on. So, uh, again, want to thank our guest, Ignacio Esteban, uh, for coming on the podcast. And uh, we'll have another great episode for you guys next week here at Dark Fringe Radio.